0: Welcome to the Can Do MS podcast. My name is Krista Sipp, and I am a programs manager here at Can Do MS. I want to fill you in on something. November is National Caregivers Month. At Can Do MS, we talk a lot about the journey of the caregiver or support partner. Living well with MS takes a team effort, and we often say MS is a we disease, not a me disease. It affects not just the person with MS, but also their family, friends, and others who support and care for them. Today's podcast is episode 40 and is part of the Embracing Carers series. We'll hear from psychologist Roz Kalb and guest John Strum. Some of you may be familiar with John Strum as he is the host of the podcast Real Talk MS. We're pleased to have him today, and we're going to flip the script and put John in the guest seat. You'll hear about his story and experiences as a support partner.
1: Hello, I'm Roz kalb a psychologist with Can Do Multiple Sclerosis, and I'm, I'm really thrilled today to be here with a friend and colleague, John Strom. John, can you just?
2: introduce yourself? Oh, sure. Hi, Roz. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I, uh, let's see, I spent about 23 years as uh, a caregiver for my wife, Jean, who lived with a, a very advanced case of progressive MS. Um, I am just wrapping up serving six years on the Scientific Steering Committee for the International Progressive MS Alliance. I'm uh, an MS activist. I'm a trustee for the National MS Society. I also chair the society's California Government Relations Advisory Committee. And at this very moment, I am thrilled to be talking with you today.
1: Well, you have a lot to share with us. And before we jump in and talk more about uh, the main part of your life story, which is as a, a caregiver for your wife, Jean, I just want to talk about vocabulary for a minute because our listeners will hear caregiver, care partner, support partner, supporter, as well as partner, spouse, friend, lover, whatever. So from your point of view, what's important about this vocabulary?
2: I think the most important thing about the all the various terminology it really lies in the ear of the beholder in how people process those kinds of terms in my mind uh, a support partner sounds like it can be almost anyone because we all want to support a friend a family member a spouse a partner we want to we want to support them if they're living with chronic illness like like ms um to me, I think uh, caregiver probably, uh, in my mind at least, requires uh, a little a little more effort than just providing that support from the grandstands. It's a little more hands-on. Maybe the responsibility is uh, multiplied somewhat. I think that it, it, it's tricky because you know, not only is MS unpredictable, but it's progressive in nature. So over time, the way we define those roles can actually change. Right.
1: So uh, I'm glad that you've you've explained all that. And I think at Kendo MS, when we offer programs to people living with MS and their support partners, we're including anyone who wants to be there, either as a fa- a spouse, a friend, a child, a parent who is providing support. Um, and that in no way takes away from their roles as spouses, partners, parents children. That stays the same, but how they provide support changes over time. So with that, can you share with us uh, your story with your wife, Jean, um, and how that transitioned over time?
2: Well, I guess the uh, easiest way to talk about my role and how it transitioned over time is to explain how my wife's situation sort of changed over time. Uh, I remember one day early on, we were having coffee together. Um, I noticed there was a little tremor or twitch in her pinky finger. And I pointed it out, I asked her what what that was. And she looked at it and she said, you know, I, I hadn't even noticed it, but probably something I should have looked at. And she went to her doctor who surprisingly in that moment, referred her to a neurologist. And long story short, 90 days later, she was diagnosed with secondary progressive MS. That tiny tremor in her pinky finger uh, eventually and and quickly was a tremor in her hand and then went up her arm and then affected her head. And then it affected her other arm. And then it affected her other hand, uh, leaving her unable to do just so many of the things that we take for granted, just everyday tasks of daily living. um, And she required assistance. So that was my induction to being an MS caregiver. Uh, Her mobility um, changed very rapidly. uh, Up until her diagnosis, Jean was someone who would Uh, She was an avid cyclist, so she'd actually ride her bike 40 miles every single morning. She'd get up at 4 a.m. to get that out of the way every day, and on a weekend, she might extend that ride to actually 100 miles. Uh, She was pretty committed to that. Uh, Within just a few years, just a few years of her diagnosis, uh, she was wheelchair-bound and very quickly became bed-bound, and beyond tremor, uh, she of course, lost the uh, ability to use her legs. She um, suffered with swallowing issues. She suffered with um, speech issues, suffered with vision issues. Um, She eventually uh, continued evolving to the point where she needed um, to receive all her nutrition by means of a feeding tube. She had oxygen to assist in her breathing. She had become completely nonverbal uh, for the last maybe seven, eight years of her life, uh, and and again, I, I guess I want to point out that her case was particularly cruel and 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 not at all what most people living with MS should expect. But uh, it was what we got. That was a hand we were dealt. And so as she became less capable of Doing things anything for herself, um, I became more involved in her care actually stopped working for about eleven years to to serve as her primary caregiver
1: so as a as a psychologist um, and I've done a lot of work with families uh, impacted by ms one of the things I talk about with couples and with families, and you and I have had this conversation, John that that we try to help people find ways as one person's abilities change to find ways to maintain a give and take in the relationship. And I think about this in relation just to healthy aging, not just in terms of life with a progressive illness, but Because I know when people become disabled or become unable to do the things they used to do for their loved ones, they feel a loss as well. And so working with couples to try to help them find ways for each person to give to the relationship and to get from the relationship. In the rapid disease course that you described gene having, which I'm glad you mentioned is pretty rare, but how did that affect your relationship as a couple and maintaining that give and take um, over time.
2: It affected it in every possible way you could probably imagine, Ross. Um, I guess well prior to genes being diagnosed with MS, I always sort of looked at a relationship as... as not being 50-50, but more being kind of 105-105, knowing that okay. there were going to be days where your partner couldn't be there when you might need them, and it was up to you to provide that extra 5%, so to speak. Um, I think that became very, very clear to me as Gene's disease course continued on its path. Um, I'll also say that whatever it was or whatever it is that I've learned about being an MS caregiver, um, I probably learned the hard way by first making every possible mistake before I started figuring things out. But I didn't get a sense of a lot of receiving for a lot of that time. Unfortunately, as, as you well know, um, more than half the people diagnosed with MS are also at some point diagnosed with clinical depression. And uh, that, that's something that Jean faced early on as she was, as you can imagine, emotionally rocked by the changes that she was experiencing. Um, she became not sad, but depressed. Mm-hmm. And so... Her ability to be outgoing, and she was the most outgoing person I had ever met, uh, it, it quickly vanished. Um, I found I was doing a lot of giving, and I had to sort of offset whatever lack of receiving I was experiencing by recognizing that, for me, this level of support was just the way that I defined my basic humanity. I had a need to help this person get through the day every day, and uh, so I, I set aside a lot of what otherwise would have been regular expectations in order to make sure I could I could do that and be there.
1: So that raises a couple important questions. For me. But before I do that, I just want to remind our listeners that uh, the clinical depression that John is talking about, the gene experienced, uh, we now know uh, may be a reaction to the challenges and losses of a chronic illness, but we also know that it's a very com- uh, common symptom of the disease itself. So it, it's hardwired uh, into the into the body of a person with MS. So that as John mentioned, at least 50% of people will experience this and it's related to changes in the immune system and the brain as well as reacting. So um, the first thing I wanna ask you is it sounds as though as you identified your role um, and your desire to care for your wife whom you love very much, People may focus mostly on the losses and the challenges and the pain that you two experienced, but were there some positive feelings for you that you would want other support partners or caregivers to look for in their own experience?
2: Definitely, Uh, for me, you know, it was um, it was a smile that. I thought for a long time might have disappeared completely and I didn't always see it uh but I did and it was a smile along with eye contact that for me sent a message I think every couple uh starts to be able to read a lot of uh, each other's nonverbal communication right and that's why when you're standing across the room from your partner uh, and they give you a look, you realize you better stop doing whatever it is you 're doing they don 't have to say anything; you just get the look right well i think there's there 's a number of different looks that can be shared and um, and without question, I got one that was so full of love and gratitude and appreciation and um, and support for me that uh, it was it, it 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 was good enough to fuel me going forward
1: great. So as the genes MS progressed, and as you mentioned, you were not either getting or expecting a lot of support back, except for this fabulous smile you just described. Um, Where did you look for support for yourself? And did you do it as quickly as you, you might have looking back? (laughs)
2: Uh, the answer to that second question is no, I did not do it as quickly as I would have, or I would recommend to anyone else in that situation. Um, Unfortunately, uh, being a caregiver, especially if you're dealing with someone with progressive MS who who has more than a fair share of needs, um, it can feel very isolating and, I I allowed it to isolate me for the longest time, and that was not in my own best interest. It didn't certainly didn't help me be a better caregiver, didn't help me in any way I could possibly determine. Um, I eventually found my way to a, a therapist who specialized in talking with people who are affected by MS, and uh, that became a game changer for me in terms of reconnecting with the world and even reconnecting with myself.
1: And you and I have had conversations about this, and we've heard other support partners and caregivers talking about f- beginning to feel invisible, um, that they are seen by healthcare providers, by family members, by friends, as this person's support partner, as opposed to a person in their own right um so often they're not asked how they're doing how do you feel what do you need what's going on so how at what point and how did you begin to recognize your own needs and come back in connection with yourself was it through the therapy
2: i think it was i really do uh and, and you know um <laughs> Questions like "How are you doing?" Mm-hmm. sounds like a simple question. I didn't have a good answer. I didn't have a good answer at first, right? Um, and uh, and then when I started to answer the question, I didn't have an answer that I was satisfied with. And I was reminded of the fact that I, I kind of broke uh, one of the cardinal rules of caregiving, which is taking care of the caregiver. Um, Self care is so vital. And it's the first thing that too often gets overlooked. And that, that has its own set of consequences.
1: So, when I meet with groups of care partners, which I do frequently in my work with Candu MS, um, when I ask the question, how come you're not taking time for yourself? How come you haven't seen your own doctor? How come? Um, the focus is always on your loved one. The word I hear is either guilt or that would be selfish. And, and I would just really like your perspective on where guilt and selfishness fit in here.
2: Well, I think guilt can fit in. I didn't experience it, but I've since talked with other caregivers who certainly use that same word. And I think it it, it stems from the fact that you're the healthy one, um, you know? And so I think as that person is in front of you, you're experiencing survivor's guilt. Um, and uh, that certainly can play a part in, in how your overall outlook for sure. Um, I think that when... you allow yourself to be overwhelmed by a situation because as a caregiver for me i kind of lost a partner in managing our lives from the littlest thing like who's going to pay the bills to more major decisions, right? Um, I realized that I needed to fly solo there. I I wished that weren't the case, but I I saw over time that some of the cognitive issues that Jean was being affected by were certainly having an impact on her ability to be a full partner in the relationship. And, And that, by the way, was frightening because that to me was some of the greatest evidence that that person that i knew so well was literally beginning to disappear right in front of me and that that's that's a lot to process at the same time you're dealing with the financial issues that go along with not just everyday life but everyday life when there's a chronic illness in the family and there's a lot of additional you know we had we had what was considered great private insurance. And I came to understand all the things it didn't cover. And so um, it, it the financial pressure, the emotional coming to terms with what your relationship now is versus what you hoped it would be uh, versus what you think it once was um, dealing with that level of loss, that, that, that can easily become overwhelming. And I think when that happens, you kind of lose sight of your compass and it's, and it's easy to forget about the things that are about you because you are so focused on all the other stuff going on
1: around you. If you were an advice giving sort and you were speaking as you often do, to other support partners, what what would you want them to hear right from the beginning about their role, their self-care, their own personal wellness? What would you want them to know?
2: I'd want them to know what every flight attendant reminds us of before that plane takes off that they need to adjust their own mask before assisting others with theirs. Right. I think self-care is so important. I kind of look at caregiver walking into the room where that loved one happens to be as kind of like, um, kind of like a weather front blowing in. Now, if the caregiver is in a healthy state of mind is in a good place going to be a pretty nice day for the patient on the other hand if that caregiver is already treading water and and feeling a little overwhelmed and without options well i think all of that somehow comes across as well and and that and that makes that makes it a stormier day for that loved one right so i think that if you want to be a great caregiver you have to be great at taking care of yourself too. And first, so that you can be there for your other person. That, that's the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is nobody makes it alone in much of anything in life, including being a great caregiver. And so you want to build your social network before you need it. And I, I mention that because, especially because um, we know that almost three times as often as men, it's women who are diagnosed with MS, which means it's more frequent that men become that caregiver. And I don't know that we as a gender have been have been adequately socialized in how to rely on a social network. And so I think that that's one of the reasons that caregiving becomes a difficult fit for a lot of guys. Um, But trust me when I say build that social network before you need it and use it once you've built it, that will make a tremendous amount of difference. So I, I would, I would, I would mention those two things. I would also mention you were in, you got into that relationship with that other person with your loved one for some reason, continue investing in that relationship. And even if you don't feel like it is a 50-50 co-investment, that's okay because you're the healthy one. So continue investing in that relationship, keep communicating, keep doing the things that you know are important to, to, to get along with anyone, let alone a loved one partner, right?
1: And I think the only thing that I would add to that from my experience with all of these support groups that I've done with care partners, most of whom are men, as you say, is that sometimes it has helped for me to talk about it in terms of keeping your toolbox in order, because somehow many guys seem to have an okay time relating to that. And the toolbox has a lot of things in it. I think it has uh, knowledge about MS and as much as you can knowledge about the healthcare system in which you have to operate, which is a challenge, but it means getting as educated as you can. It's the people who support you. They're also part of your tool chest Um, resources from important places like uh, can do MS, the national MS society. And I have to mention here, your show real talk MS where people can come and hear from John himself and other experts about all aspects of life with MS. Again, that's real talk MS. Um, But keep that toolbox as full as you can. And so John, one final question to you, if you had to pick one thing, one thing that was the best tool in your toolbox that has sustained you, what would it be?
2: You know what they say, knowledge is power. If you want to be not only an effective caregiver, but a a great partner and a great advocate on behalf of your partner, when you take on the healthcare system and there will be moments where you will feel like you're taking on the healthcare system, knowledge is your best friend and getting credible, reliable information from places where, where you can trust what you're hearing. And that means places that you've just named, like it's can do MS and it's the national MS society. And yeah, I'd like to think my podcast plays a tiny role in all that uh, compared to what the rest of you all do, but um, educating yourself and it doesn't mean you need to become an amateur neurologist, but you want to be included in the conversations about treatments and options and things like that, because like all things that couples or families take on together, those kinds of things tend to be a group decision. You want to make sure that you can play your part in arriving at the best decision with your partner and the healthcare professional you're talking with.
1: Well, thank you. Um, as always, I've enjoyed talking to you, John, and I hope there are other opportunities for us to do that. Thank you for sharing um your story and and sharing sharing your relationship with Gene uh, that's that's very precious for all of us. Thanks very much.
2: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Roz.
0: This podcast is part of Embracing Carers, an initiative led by EMD Serono in collaboration with leading caregiver organizations around the world to increase awareness and in action about the often overlooked needs of caregivers. CanDoMS. MS thanks you for tuning in. Please check out more of the Embracing Carers program on our website at cando msorg Thank you for joining us and have a great week.